You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. Listen, if we're gonna accomplish anything of substance in our life, anything that's truly great, we have to have something out in front of us, a vision to compel us and pull us to reaching our, our highest potential, all right? That's what it's really all about. Now, to have that, we have to have goals, right? That's what the word is that we use in our lexicon. We need to have a goal out in front of us to really strive for. But the whole field of goal setting, there's a lot of misinformation. A lot of people are kind of disillusioned about it because of failures in the past or not kind of knowing exactly what to do or even if it really works. Today, we're going to go through the definitive guide. We're going to talk about the science behind goal setting and why this can truly transform your life and make this your best year ever. And I'm very, very excited. We have probably the, the greatest expert in the world right now in this topic and somebody who just blew my mind because he actually dove in and dissected some of the science behind this to show us just how effective setting goals are and not just setting goals, but the science of achieving goals as well. Before we get to our special guests, I wanna give a shout out to our show sponsor, Organifi. Now, you probably know that I'm a huge fan of their green juice supplement. I think every single person should be on a green superfood blend. All right, but have you tried their red juice formula? Have you tried their red juice? Cold processed, number one. So it's actually retaining all of the nutrients that you would think is coming in a so-called multivitamin that actually is not there, especially in the form that they say it's there. This is a real concentrate of whole superfoods. One of them is remarkable and something I wrote about years ago, one of my very first articles I ever wrote. And this was looking at a study published in the Journal of Applied Physiology showed that drinking beet juice boosts stamina up to 16% during exercise. All right, beet juice. This is one of the incredible superfoods that is concentrated in the red juice blend is part of the reason it's red. All right, so you got the beet in there. Also, Acai. Everybody knows about acai now, one of the highest ORAC. So we're talking about the antioxidant density that's in this superfood. ORAC value of 103,000. That means it's about 10 times more antioxidants than you find in most kind of conventional fruits that you see out there, even if they're the healthiest ones in your grocery aisle. So this is operating at a whole nother level and giving it that quality or category as being known as a superfood. Also, pomegranates in there, raspberry, blueberry, but they also have the medicinal mushrooms, including cordyceps, which you should know I'm a huge fan of as well. This is clinically proven. There are multiple studies showing that cordyceps helps to reverse insulin resistance and also helps to increase oxygenation of your blood and help to boost stamina. Again, another thing that boosts stamina, along with the beet juice, we've got a really powerful uh, combination for energy not just for exercise, but for your energy in general. And I've been having my red juice daily and I absolutely love it. And really for me, I feel that it's helping to recover from an injury that I dealt with, uh, that I suffered a little while ago, which I'll talk more about on a future episode, but combining all of the nutrients that are in red juice with some MSM and MSM that's methylsulfonylmethate, it's a form of uh, sulfur. And this combination, because many of the nutrients that are in the red juice are biopotentiators and helps the body to absorb the MSM better. And so I really feel that it's helping with my recovery. So it's great for energy. It's great for 
helping literally to create new tissues in your body. This is just some good stuff, guys. So make sure to pop over, check them out. Get the red juice blend if you've already been on the green juice. But the red juice, and it tastes really great. My kids love it. Uh, the red juice blend from Organifi, and of course, organic ingredients. All right, so they're doing everything the right way. Go to Organifi.com forward slash model. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model. And you're going to get 20% off. 20% off the red juice, the green juice blend, every product from Organifi, exclusive for the Model Health Show. You get 20% off your entire purchase. All right, so head over there and check them out. And on that note, let's get to our iTunes review of the week. Another five-star review titled, My Mind is Blown by Bren. I have been a listener for a while now, but the episode about the biology of belief has totally changed how I see my body and mind, and even how I view my life and my experience on this earth. It brought everything full circle for me. Keep up the amazing work, Sean. You're changing lives and blowing minds. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much for leaving that review for me over on iTunes. I truly do appreciate that immensely. And everybody, thank you for hopping over to iTunes and leaving those reviews. Please keep them coming. And on that note, let's get to our special guest and our topic of the day. Our guest today is the incredible Michael Hyatt, and he's a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestselling author. He began his career at Word Publishing while he was a senior at Baylor University. And in 30 years since then, he's worked in nearly every facet of book publishing, including being the former chairman and CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, now part of HarperCollins. He's also an expert in the field of social media. His blog, michaelhyatt.com, is ranked in Google as one of the top half percent of all blogs with more than one million page views a month. And recently, Forbes magazine named him one of the top 10 online marketing experts to follow and one of the top 50 social media influencers. He's also the president and founder of Platform University, an online membership community designed to give people the inspiration, coaching, and resources they need to get noticed in a noisy world. And he's back with the Lead to Win podcast, all right? I already loved his podcast, but now he's just reformulated it and it's out and brand new, the Lead to Win podcast. You want to check that out as well. I love learning from Michael. Now, while he loves his work as well, it is not the most important thing in his life. That position belongs to his family. He's been married to his wife, Gail, for over 39 years. It might be even longer than that, I'll ask him. And they have five daughters. That's right, five daughters, three sons-in-laws, and eight grandchildren, and they live just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And I'd like to welcome back to the Model Health Show, my friend, Michael Hyatt. How you doing today, Michael? I am doing fantastic, Sean. Thank you so much for having me on again. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Love talking to you. And like I said, I absolutely love learning from you. Glad you're back Thank retooling you. the podcast. And so is it 39 years you've been married? It is. That's actually an accurate stat. It'll be 40 this coming uh, summer. But yeah, 39 years. It's a long time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but married and happy. And, you know, and this is one of the things that's kind of imbued in your work as well is, you know, how much our relationships matter in our success, right? They do. But especially the ones with our most significant uh, people in our lives. Gail is my greatest cheerleader, my greatest support, my best critic. And I mean that sincerely. Yeah. You know, she's the one that gives me the most constructive, most positive, but powerful advice. And I trust her like nobody else. Yeah. So it's it's great to have a partner like that. Absolutely. When When it works, it really works. So now... 
Today, we want to talk about goal setting and your incredible new book. And I want everybody to, you need to get this book like yesterday. And I'm not kidding. This is the best book on goal setting that I've ever read. And I've read dozens that tinker on the idea, the concept, some focus on it more, but this is by far the very best book that I've ever read on the topic because you dive into the science and really speak to my man brain on that. But that's the thing that I want to ask you about first is that there are so many books on the topic, right? Like why would right. somebody as experienced as you, intelligent as you decide like, you know what, I've got something else to say in this. So why did you feel that writing a book on goal setting was important for you to do? Well, it's, it's interesting because goal setting has been something that's been part of my life since I was in college. If you look at strength finders, my number one strength is achiever. And so I just love checking things off and especially goals. Well, over the years, I've gotten a little more proficient at it every year, gotten a little bit better at it, and I think I've been able to accomplish some amazing things. Now, I've had some profound failures, which have only served as fodder for future growth, so that's that's a good thing, too. But about uh, five years ago, my eldest daughter, who works with me in the business, she's my COO of our company, came to me and she said, Dad, I think we should do a master class for Platform University on goal setting because we're approaching the new year. And I said, that's a terrific idea. Then at the time, my partner, Stu McLaren, said to me, he said, "Um, I think this needs to be an entire course of its own. Mm. So I said, really? And he said, you you don't realize what you've got. You've got a unique goal setting process that I think could be of real benefit to other people. Long story short, since we introduced that course in 2012, we've had 25,000 people go through the course. We've had another, we'll add another 8,000 this coming year to the course. So we've had this enormous base for feedback, for research, for intelligence. And and the thing, just to kind of get back to your question, that was all background, is I think so many goal-setting systems are basically what works for that person writing the book. Yeah. And the thing that's different from this book, or for this book, is that I really try to dive deep into the science. And that's one of the things I really respect about you, Sean. When you wrote on sleep, it wasn't just what worked for you, but you went deep into the science. And I tried to do the same thing. Because I wanted to show not just what worked for me, but what the science says works for everybody. It's one thing to get results for me. It's another thing to get results for my students. And that's where I've been focused is on getting results for my students. So I think that's what sets the book apart. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, there's there's just so much theory out there, you know. And like you just said, yes. a lot of times we, we do speak from our own experience, which is great, you know, and wonderful that we have those experiences to share. And that will help a lot of people. But it won't help the the greatest amount of people because we need to have more options. You know, the same thing with sleep. I don't do 21, the all 21 of the things that I talk about in the book. I do the things that work for me that fit into my life. Yes. I did test all of them and I found a nice database of not only clinical studies, but people who have achieved success with those things, but you have to do what's best for you. And so I'm curious, what inspired you to actually dig into the research on goal setting and kind of structure it this way um, personally, what inspired you to do this? Besides, I, I get it, you know, your, 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 your daughter mentioned this, business partner, but you personally, why do you think that this was important and why did you structure it this way? You know, it's really important for me to validate things and it's got to be more than my experience. Yeah. And especially if I'm going to stand in front of a room full of people or a workshop or have an online course that reaches tens of thousands of people, I want to make darn sure that it works. If they're going to give me their hard-earned money, I want to make sure that it works. And so much of the conventional wisdom around goal setting is just flat out wrong. And I'll give you a, a great case in point. 
is that a lot of people think, and this is taught in corporations, or let me just say it's not even taught, it's just assumed, that you need to set goals that are kind of safe, that you can absolutely uh, beat, because that'll build your confidence and you'll be able to, to hit them. Well, actually, that's a recipe for disaster. Hmm. If you set goals that are too low, they won't engage you emotionally, they won't captivate your imagination. They won't necessitate the kind of innovation that's required to achieve big, important goals. So the goal can't be too high, but it has to be high enough that it's in your discomfort zone. And all the research uh, bears that out. So, I mean, that's just one thing among many that I, I just I just wanted to kind of debunk some of those common myths. Yeah, yes. And we'll talk, talk more about that. So just personally, I'm going to throw a, a, another question in here that just came up for me. Um, okay. why do you feel it's important for each of us to even set goals in the first place? Oh, great question. Okay. So most people, first of all, the people that listen to your show, I know are exceptional. They wouldn't be, they wouldn't be listening to it if they weren't trying to better themselves. Yeah. But most people out there are drifting through life. They're like, uh, a bobber on the waves of the sea, just carried with the current. They don't have any intention they don't realize that a great life, I mean, great health, which I know you are committed to, that's not something that just happens. That's something that's caused. Hmm. You have to take the initiative to make that happen. Same thing is true for a marriage. We're talking about my marriage to Gail, 39 years. That just didn't happen. I wasn't just lucky in love. The truth is we're polar opposites. We almost killed each other the first five years. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and to create a great marriage, that takes intention and it takes goal setting. Same thing for a, for a business. This year, uh, my business, Michael Hyatt and Company, we were named to the Inc. 5000, fastest growing private yes. companies in America. Uh, we were at about 12, what was it? 1,250, I believe. And that just didn't happen either. That is all the power of goal setting. I'm 62 years old. I'm in the best shape of my life today. I lift more today. I have more endurance. I have better balance. That just didn't happen. That comes from goal setting. So if you want to create a life, that you'll love, I don't know of a better way to do it than to set and work toward goals. Yes, man, so powerful, so powerful. And I think so often we we look past that, you know, we're so busy in our day to day that we don't realize that we can actually define, we can choose what we're going to accomplish. We can focus our attention, our energy, our resources in actually achieving something great if we just take the time to set the direction and stop being uh, a bobber in the waves of life. So thank you for sharing that. So true. Now, I think yeah. accomplishing any goal at a foundational level begins with belief. So let's talk about yes. just how much belief matters in this equation. Yeah, belief is huge because I don't know who it was that said it, maybe in Zig Ziglar, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And um, I'll just tell you just a quick story. I used to have this dog named Nelson. I was the CEO of Thomas Nelson at, at the time, and I thought this would be kind of cute to name my dog after the company, so I named him Nelson. Mm -hmm. He was an English setter. And the problem was we didn't have a fence around our yard, and if the front door opened, he would just bolt like a convict escaping from jail, and we'd spend mm -hmm. the next 20 or 30 minutes chasing him around the neighborhood, trying to corral him back into the yard. So then we discovered invisible fence. And so we put the invisible fence in, and in, I don't know if you know how this works, but it's, it's amazing because the dog wears a special collar, and every time he approaches the boundary of your yard where there's been a wire buried, he gets just a small uh, vibration. It's not a shock, but it's just a vibration. And the, and the dog quickly learned 
that that was a barrier and it scared him enough that he wouldn't transgress the barrier. Even if I stood on the other side of the fence with a dog treat or I had the grandkids with me, whatever, the dog wouldn't budge. Hmm. And here's why. Because the fence had moved from sort of an objective reality to being something that was internal inside of Nelson's head. Even when we took off the collar, he still wouldn't budge. There was nothing restricting him. Hmm. But he had this belief as a dog that it would stop him. And a lot of people are like that with their beliefs. They have these limiting beliefs that are holding them back and keeping them from making the progress that they'd like to, to, to make. It keeps them stuck. Hmm. Yeah. In the book, you actually talk about, and again, this is diving into the science. There's um, something you mentioned called the Thomas theorem, right? And you yeah. state how we tend to experience what we expect, right? So can you yes. kind of dissect that a little bit for us? Yeah, this is, this is interesting because this happened back in 1928. And one of the things that uh, William Thomas said, he was a sociologist, he said, quote, if men define situations as real, they are real in their consequences, end quote. There was another sociologist by the name of Robert Merton who reflected on the Thomas theorem about 20 years later and he coined the term, and we've all heard this, self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. And then Karl Popper, who was a philosopher of science, called this the uh, Oedipus effect after the mythic uh, Greek hero that fulfills this tragic prophecy. But here's how it worked. Our expectations shape what we believe is possible. So, and in turn, these expectations and beliefs shape our perceptions, they, they shape our actions, and that means they also shape the outcomes, and that means they shape our reality. So we've got to be careful and examine our beliefs. And we've gotten very good about this in my family and around our company of challenging those limiting beliefs when they come out of their, their mouth. I'll give you an example. I had a friend who lost his job. Uh, this was during the Great Recession. And for five years, he was unemployed. He was 52 years old when he lost his job. And when I said, tell me what's keeping you from getting a job. He said, well, that's easy. I said, what? He said, I'm too old. Hmm. I said, really? I said, why do you say that? Because I was just talking to a kid the other day that was 24 years old who couldn't get a job and he said he was too young. And the truth is you could reframe that. And this is what I encouraged him do, to do and say, here's the truth. Here's the liberating truth that should uh, replace that limiting belief. And that is that you have more experience than the competition. You've made more mistakes than the competition on somebody else's investment so that what you bring to the job is a level of wisdom and skill that they can't match. Hmm. Now, I said to my young friend who was 24 who said he was too young to get a job, I said, well, here's the liberating truth for you. You have all the energy and the creativity of youth. You're unstoppable. You know, you're going to try anything. And so it's all about what we believe. It's going to shape the reality that we experience. Yeah. Wow. So I, I really want everybody to take a second and, and to get that imbued into your spirit that if you don't have that sense of belief in your capacity and your capability, you've already failed before you started. And right. I think that the first thing that we can start to cultivate, and we're going to talk more about this, some of these limiting beliefs, is to start to cultivate a belief and getting outside of your paradigm, you know, so right now, if your goal is to have, you know, the, the, the fitness level or the, the, the physical appearance that you want, 
You have to start to truly believe that you can have that thing. But there's these limiting beliefs behind the scenes we're going to get to that can stop us from that. But we have to cultivate belief first so that we can start to actually move in that direction. And another thing you said in the book is that doubt is goal toxin, right? <laughs> doubt is goal toxin. Why do you say that? It's because if you believe your dream is impossible or just improbable, you won't take the necessary action to make it real. And again, the, the research on this is, is solid. I mean, in other words, why bother? Either you won't even start or you won't give it your all. I was running in a um, half marathon probably a decade ago, and I came up on this guy. I mean, you know how these are. I don't know if you've ever run one, but it's like 35,000 people, right? Yeah. And so I'm running, you know, making some progress, and I run up on this guy, and he's got a T-shirt on, and on his back it says, I may be 80, but I'm ahead of you. Wow. I, <laughs> I love that. But but this was a guy that didn't doubt his ability at 80 years old to run a half marathon. And I caught up with him at the end of the race. He finished. And he had run like 12 of those by that time. And it was was just amazing. But people that doubt they can do that yeah. won't even try. I um, When I was the CEO at Thomas Nelson, we were running half marathons to raise money for charity. And at one time I had, I don't know, over 100 people from the company run the half marathon with me. And there was one woman who was over 70 pounds overweight from what her ideal weight should be. And at first she said, you know, I'd love to, to run this, but you know, obviously I can't, you know, I just, I'm, I'm too heavy to make this work. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, if, if you believe that, what do you think is going to happen? And she said, well, I'm not going to run it. And I said, okay, but what if you have a different belief? What if we could install a different belief that maybe if you trained and took baby steps you could actually lose that weight. And Sean, in four months' time, she lost that weight. Mm. She lost 70 pounds, ran the race with us. And the the awesome thing about it was it just didn't fuel her physical fitness. It fueled her mental fitness. It fueled her sales performance at work. Her sales went up like 40% that same year because she used it as leverage in the rest of or the other areas of her life. But it all began by confronting the doubt, and that's what we have to do. Here's one little piece of science. Polls show that the percentage of people in their 20s who achieve their New Year's resolutions is far greater than those over 50. In fact, a Harris poll found while eight in 10 millennials set resolutions, almost seven in 10 adults over 65 say setting resolutions is a waste of time. So what's going on here? Well, after decades of setbacks and failures, many people doubt a better future is possible. For younger people, here's where a lack of experience actually is a benefit. Yeah. But it all comes back to our belief system. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. And I, I saw some of the research, obviously, in your book as well uh, regarding that and how we can start to become a little bit um, weathered, you know, and jaded about the yes. whole process when you don't succeed. And you start to actually reframe it in the book, which we're going to talk about in a moment as well. There's so much good stuff, but I want to get back to the point of, because, okay, so we know that we have this potential, we want to do these great things, and we realize, you know what, I actually don't really believe that I can do it. And we realize we have these limiting beliefs. You actually take people through the book to pinpoint and pull out what those things are, kind of find those weeds so that we can actually pull them out. So what I want to talk about now is... What are some of these limiting beliefs that actually hold us back? I want to go through the four of them that you put in the book. The first one is black and white thinking, 
All right. So let's yes. talk about that. Okay. This, this is when we assume that we failed. And if we don't achieve perfection, then there's no use trying. Reality is usually a sliding scale, though. It's not a toggle switch. And so this is what people have to realize. And this is why people throw goal setting out the window sometimes is mm -hmm. they think, well, I came short of my goal. Yeah. And one of the things I learned from my mentor, Dan Sullivan, was the difference between the gap and the gain. And here's how it works. When you're somebody who's out to, to accomplish great things, you know, there's going to be a gap between where you are and what you want to achieve, right? So that's the gap. That's great on the front end of goal setting. Yeah. But once you cross the finish line, let's say you didn't make the time that you hoped to achieve when you were running that race, or you didn't make the income or the revenue in your business that you mm -hmm. hoped to achieve, or whatever it is, maybe you fell just a little bit short. It's easy to stay in the gap measure the gap and feel like an utter failure. You know, like, gosh, I missed the goal. This goal setting thing is a waste of time. It doesn't work. Instead, what Dan encourages people to do and what I encourage you to do in the book is measure the gain to look backward. You know, when you're, when you're approaching the goal, look forward and measure the gap. But when you cross the finish line, look back and actually measure what you accomplished. Because again, it's not a black and white thing. It's more like a sliding scale. And if you can count the wins and focus on where you succeeded, that builds your confidence and gives you um, uh, sort of the, the emotional mindset where you're willing to take on bigger goals instead of throwing the whole thing out the window. So that's kind of the first kind of thinking that can hurt us. Yeah. Another well, one is I, I, Before you get to that one, before you get to yeah, that yeah. one, this reminds me of a quote, and I believe it goes that... Uh, to shoot for the moon, because even if you miss, you're still going to land among the stars. And yes. for me, and I've seen this firsthand, you know, somebody set a goal to, you know, go from making maybe, you know, $50,000 a year to making $100,000 in, you know, six months or whatever the case might be. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing this example, but they get 50000 in six months, which was what they did an entire year before that, right? Yeah. Do you see that as a failure? And here's what the magic part is, is that by you setting the goal and then you doing the things, the action steps necessary to get you to that $100,000 or whatever the goal was, it's going to take you so much further than you would have gone had you not set the goal in the first place and started to think bigger than you were thinking and just going around operating on, on autopilot, maybe a little bit better or maybe even going backwards. You know, so I just want mm. to point that out for folks that that black and white thinking can get you into trouble. So be mindful of that, that you're not setting the goal because you have a limiting belief that, you know, if I can't get 100% of what I'm setting this goal for, then I'm a failure. Be mindful of that because it does actually happen. So let's jump into the next one. In this one, so you said we've got black and white thinking and the next one you said was personalizing. So what is that? Yeah, that's when we blame ourselves for random negative occurrences. I mean, it could be anything from something that happens in our neighborhood to something that happens at work. You know, maybe, for example, uh, you're in a company where the product division created a substandard product and you were in the sales division and you didn't get the sales results. And so you blame yourself. You personalize it and make it all about you. And usually life is more complex than that. There's usually a lot of factors uh, that lead to failure or lead to a breakdown. And we don't have to own all of them. We certainly have to own the ones that are ours, but personalizing is when we're like hyper responsible and we over function and take on more responsibility or, or own it the more than we should. Mm, that's interesting. And with personalizing, this is, this can come in the context, you know, if you're setting a goal for, 
we'll just say, you know, your health and fitness, getting in shape, and then something happens with, you know, a significant other, or maybe your mother or something like that, maybe the car breaks down. And now yeah. you have to kind of adjust your schedule. You can't get to the gym like you planned. Like you can throw things off. And so personalizing is blaming yourself. Like, you know, I should have did this, I should have did that. Now, and I, I love that you mentioned that there is some responsibility we need to take. And I find that taking responsibility as much as we can in our lives is the greatest kind of empowerment that we can have and the things that we totally. can adjust. But if you get caught up in the fact of like, you know, this thing happened and it's just, you know, there, there's, it's on me, then you're not going to continue to take action. It just, it sounds crazy. And I know people are like, I don't do that. But many people do that all the time. They blame themselves in some weird way. Well, and you hear people say things like in the health and fitness area, say things, well, like, you know, I'd love to, to lose weight, but I'm just big boned. Mm. You know, you hear that. Yeah. Or, or you hear something else like, I guess I'm just not meant to be fit. You know, I guess I was just made to be a couch potato or whatever, but that's personalizing something that is really at the level of belief and at the level of mindset that has nothing to do with objective reality. What's the number three? So this was, the, the, we've got four of these. So that, what's the third one? Okay. So the number, and by the way, the first three of these come from Jeremy Dean's book, Making Habits, Breaking Habits. I got a fourth one that I'll add here in a minute. But uh, uh, catastrophizing is when we assume the worst, even with little evidence. Yeah. So it could be anything from feeling a, a flutter in your heart uh, to thinking that, oh my gosh, I'm on the verge of a heart attack. My health is going to pieces. Or it could be, you know, something that happens in your business and maybe you you hit a bump in the road in terms of your cash flow and you think, oh my gosh, I knew it. This is the end. My business is going to fail. But it's that kind of worst case scenario, yeah. catastrophic thinking that immediately goes, you know, on the dial from one to 10 or maybe even 11. And it just doesn't serve us. And it's usually wrong. Sean, recently, I, I journal every day and I've been doing this for about seven years now. And so every day I look back on the entries that I made in previous years on that same day. And oftentimes I'd be wrestling with some problem at work or uh, at home. But the thing I realized is this, I have a 100% success record when it comes to overcoming obstacles. And you know what? You do too. Yeah. And everybody that's in your studio right now does too. So far, we've been 100% successful in overcoming whatever we face. And we may be in the middle of something right now, and it may be easy to, uh, to catastrophize it and think that we're not going to get out this time, that this is the time that's going to finally undo us. But all the evidence, if you look back over your life, would suggest that you're going to get through this. You're going to make it to the other side. The most important thing you can do is just stay in the race and not quit. Yeah. Oh, man. I love that so much. Love that. So this one, again, this is like, it's it's all bad, bad stuff's gonna happen. You know what, when you set a goal, things are going to come up, but when you make it like it's yep. impossible because everything's gonna break down, then you're, again, you're setting yourself up for failure and you're not gonna take the action step necessary because this crazy limiting belief that all these bad things are gonna happen is preventing you from setting the goal and taking action because I promise you, I promise, well, I can't promise 100%, but the world is probably not going to end. It's like, so somebody's like, you know, it's 1999. They're like doing their goals. Ah, it's, it's Y2K. It's Y2K. The world's going to end anyway. So I'm not going to set goals. You know, like we have these crazy things that all these bad negative things are going to happen. And again, I'm being real. I've seen it firsthand. 
things are going to happen. You know, maybe things that are not the best. Definitely. But if you set the goal and you continue to take action steps forward, because a lot of things that happen, they're not happening to us, they're happening for us. To develop the skills necessary to get to the goal that we actually have the capacity to get to. So thank you for sharing that. So those are the first three. And this, the last one, I love this. This is the one that I've seen more than any other. So what's that? Yeah, it's universalizing. It's when we take a bad experience and we assume it's true across the board. So I have a friend, Don Miller, who's actually written about this. And he'd had a couple of bad relationships where it just didn't work out. Mm -hmm. So what he did was from those couple of experiences, he universalized and said, you know what? Either I'm just not lucky at love or I'm just not good at relationships. Mm -hmm. And so what that did for him was he stopped dating. You know, he just said, what's, what's the point? Because he'd universalized that isolated experience. He had a friend that came to him and uh, a friend that loved him and a friend who also happened to be a trial lawyer and started marshalling evidence for Don and saying, Don, you know what? I think you're actually good at relationships and here's why. And he started talking about what a great friend Don was, all these things he had done to invest in their friendship until the point at which Don began to shift his belief and said, well, maybe I'm not so bad at relationships. Today, he's happily married because he shifted that limiting belief to a liberating truth that uh, really examined that sort of that, that universalizing thing and took it apart so it could empower him to move forward in relationships. Oh, I love that. That's the exact example that I was thinking of when I first heard this is that, you know, maybe, and this is for everybody listening, maybe, you know, you want to have a healthy, loving relationship that you deserve, that you feel you deserve kind of consciously, but you had a bad experience, you know, with a, we'll just say a guy who cheated on you. And so now the belief becomes because of universalizing, all men are dogs, right? All men are dogs. And what, what happens then is you start to replicate that. All you see is a continuation of yes. the same kind of situation showing up when you put yourself into one. And number one, you this goes back to you get what you expect. You're, you have this self-fulfilling prophecy. If all men are dogs, how are you gonna find a cat, you know? And the reality <laughs> is, I don't know if that even makes sense, but the reality <laughs> is you get what you expect and also you get what you believe you're worth, right? And so yes. if you believe that all men are dogs and yet you want a dog, then you feel like you're worth a dog, you know? And again, universalizing, and then take this in the concept of maybe you want to improve your life financially, but you're carrying around a lot of disempowering beliefs about money, right? Because you've got all these, usually it's the rich evil villain, right? Even in the movies, it's the rich, rich evil villain, or maybe the one rich person in your family, one person has money, if you kind of grew up in poverty, is like the Scrooge McDuck uncle, right? And so for you, it's like you have this underlying belief and you universalize that rich people are greedy right? Rich people are greedy. I don't want to be that. And when we can start to, again, identify that crazy belief we're carrying around and start to pay attention to other examples, you know, wealthy people who are incredibly altruistic and giving. And Mm -hmm. these are a lot of the people that are in my life, you know, that uh, changes your perception of what that can even look like. And last thing, you want to get your health and body into a place that you're, you know, just excited about, but you believe that being healthy is too time consuming. And you universalize all things to do with that. And so in your mind, being healthy is just too hard. So why try? You know, so again, we're looking at these limiting beliefs. And again, Michael Hyatt, just at an expert, just 
mind-blowing level, lays this stuff out in the book for us to address these things and to get in there, look at these beliefs, the roots, so that we can pull them out. So I want to shift gears now and I want to talk about what's the source, the actual source of a lot of the limiting beliefs that we that we bring up in our own consciousness. I just mentioned one, which is like family influence. So let's talk about yes. the sources of these limiting beliefs. Well, just to elaborate on, on what you said about family, certainly we grow up with a lot of beliefs that we assume are reality. And um, I grew up in a lower middle-class home where we always struggled financially. And I just kind of thought that's how it was, that making money's really hard that, um, you know, I'm probably going to be in debt for the rest of my life. You know, all these things were a source for me. Sometimes it can be a personal setback. You know, it can be something that happens to us, like we may get uh, injured and then we develop a set of beliefs about what we can do or what's possible. Um, I remember when I broke my ankle about 10 years ago and I had to have a plate, six screws put in, I thought, well, there goes my running. That's the end of my running. Um, not so much. I didn't let that limit me at all. I still run to this day and have zero problem with it. But I think a big one that we got to watch for now, especially in the last few years is the news media. Yeah. Because there's this crazy negativity bias. And once you understand the psychology of this, think about this, the news business relies on advertising revenue. So the game is to get as many eyeballs on the show as possible, right? Well, one simple way to do that is to scare people because this is part of our evolutionary history is that when you're scared, you can't take your eyes off the threat. Yeah. And so when everything is breaking news, a news bulletin, something big and scary, the news media has figured out that if they can do that, they can keep you glued to your television set. The problem is that most of the stuff that's happening is in what Dr. Stephen Covey calls your realm or your area of concern, your circle of concern. It's not in your circle of influence. So all that big, scary stuff that's happening, like as we're recording this, a um, couple days ago, North Korea sent another you know, big missile, and you know everybody's talking about how now they've got missiles that could reach the U.S. Sean, I don't know about you, but there's not much I can do about that. I could worry about it. I could make my life miserable. I could lose a lot of sleep. I could spend a lot of unproductive time and I could develop a lot of beliefs about that. Or I can just say, that's not, that's in my uh, circle of concern, not my circle of influence. And I'm going to focus on what I can, can change. Social media is another one. You know, the research shows that people that spend a lot of time on Facebook feel pretty crummy about their lives. Right. Yeah. And yet we're glued to Facebook and Facebook has developed the algorithms and the science to keep you glued to Facebook. They know what to serve up into your feed to keep you glued to it. And yet, and I think there's some wonderful benefits of social media. I mean, I, I, I am where I am today in large part because of the social media and because of internet and all that. But we've got to be careful about our dosage. Yeah. And we've got to be careful about what we begin to believe as a result of what we see. If you just go to Facebook, it'd be very easy for you to come to the conclusion that everybody's living a charmed, amazing life. They've got a hot spouse. They've got an in incredible kids. They've got a wonderful job. And you start comparing yourself and you go, and this is again, a belief. I must suck because I don't really have all that stuff if I'm honest. And that's where this negativity bias that happens in the news media and in social media 
can implant these beliefs in us that will not serve us. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a tough pill to swallow because this is our world today. And you know, our, our ancestors didn't have to deal with this. It's like a whole new ball game when it comes to implanting these limiting beliefs and this sense of comparison. And I love the, the statement that is when you compare yourself, you negate yourself. And I love that us carving out our own spot in life, which again, I believe that we're here to do that life is, I think it's like a one in 400 million chance that you were born, you know, like you are already a miracle, you know, and this is your Mm. opportunity. Life is working to express itself through you, you know, and to think that we're not good enough or that we're lacking and we're missing all these different things because we see what somebody else is doing. It's, it's a sad state of affairs, but consciousness and awareness trumps everything. So again, bringing these things up to the forefront and talking about the sources of our limiting beliefs is is really valuable. So thank you for sharing that. And also, again, I want to reiterate a lot of our beliefs are structured into our minds when we're kids as well. And next up, I want to talk about, of course, now that we've looked at the limiting beliefs, what are some real valuable ways that we can upgrade these beliefs? And so we're going to do that right after this quick break. Sit tight and we'll be right back. Today, we're in the midst of a new revolution with our understanding of food. We used to just be focused on this macronutrient paradigm, proteins, fats, carbohydrates. Carbohydrates and proteins got a pretty good name, but fats were drugged through the mud. Why is that? Because it's called fat, all right? The name implies something different than the other two. Because when we hear the word fat, we think about fat on our bodies. Fat in food and fat in our bodies are two totally different things. And it's like thinking, if I eat blueberries, I'm going to turn blue, when you think that eating fat is going to turn you fat. It just doesn't work like that. And any of those three macronutrients can actually put fat on your body if you eat too much or the wrong types. Healthy fats, which I'm proposing that we start to call lipids or even energy, are incredibly important for every single function in your body. Your cells, every single cell in your body, we have upwards of 100 trillion cells that make you up require fats to just maintain the integrity of your cell membranes. We're talking about the thing that holds your cells together and enables your cells to communicate. It's very important. Also your brain, your brain is mostly fat and water. This is why fats are so important. When you're deficient in fats, especially the right kinds of fats, you can see some big issues. So in order to address that, some of my favorite things today are MCT oils. And specifically, if we look at emulsified MCT oils that actually taste amazing. And these are medium chain triglyceride oils that are extracted from things like coconut or palm. And these medium chain triglycerides have a thermogenic effect on the body, which means they are able to positively alter your metabolism. All right, that's number one, thermogenic effect from MCT oils, positively altering your metabolism. Number two, MCTs are more easily absorbed by your cells. So unlike conventional food of any type that has to go through a pretty arduous process of digestion, turning that food stuff into you stuff, MCTs are able to go directly to your cells and provide almost instant energy. And number three, MCT oils are very protective of your microbiome. There's so much research today about the importance of having a healthy microbiome and the integrity of our gut. MCT oils are one of those things that help to support that because they're especially effective at combating viruses, 
parasites, bacteria. There's so much goodness that is able to be found in these MCT oils, but you want to get the good stuff. And for me, that's why I go to onit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash M-O-D-E-L to get the emulsified MCT oils, which is like a coffee creamer. These are great to add to your coffees and teas, smoothies and things like that to get in a little bit of extra flavor plus all the benefits of MCT oils. They're easy to stir so you don't have to throw everything into a blender just to get a nice coffee drink, but also they taste good and they make the process of being healthy, fun and enjoyable. So head over, check them out. They've got vanilla, coconut, cinnamon swirl, and strawberry. It's one of my favorites. So go to onit.com forward slash model for 10% off your entire purchase, not just for the MCT oil, but all of the health and human performance supplements that Onit carries and all of their fitness equipment, gear, and so much other cool stuff. All right, head over there, check them out, onit.com forward slash model. Now back to the show. All right, we are back and we're talking with New York Times bestselling author and all around superhero, Michael Hyatt. And his new book, Your Best Year Ever. So when this is getting released, you want to get the pre-order copy right now to help to crush your year. And also, you know, if this is coming out a little bit after that, go get the book like yesterday. It's, it's really one of my favorite books. It jumped right to the top of the pile. So we were talking about limiting beliefs and looking at what some of those limiting beliefs are. Where did they originate? Now I want to talk about some ways that folks can start to actually upgrade their beliefs. Great. Okay. So the first thing you've got to do is you've got to trade your frame. So this is almost like taking glasses off that have caused you to see the world with a certain tint and begin to see them in a new way. Um, I remember a few years ago, I had my lenses in my eyes actually replaced. I developed some early cataracts and so what I didn't realize, they did one eye at a time just for risk management purposes. They did one eye and then the next two weeks later, they did the other eye. Oh my gosh. So the first eye gets done. All of a sudden, it's like the world is in four color, you know, full color. Mm. It, was, it was so washed out before because my lenses were so clouded that I was really seeing a distorted view of the world. Mm. But I could compare it because one eye was fixed and one eye wasn't fixed. The eye that was fixed I saw everything with enormous clarity, beautiful, vibrant colors. The eye that wasn't uh, fixed yet, it was kind of this yellow cast to everything. So that's what you got to do to your beliefs is you've got to replace the lens, so to speak, and look at the world in a different way. And in my book, Your Best Year Ever, I recommend a six-step process for doing that. But here are just a couple of those steps. First of all, recognize your limiting belief. Upgrading your belief starts with awareness, just being aware that, wait a second, is that reality or is that just a belief like my dog Nelson? Is that just a belief that's floating around in my head that's come from somewhere else, but it's not the way the world really is? So the awareness thing, recognize your limiting belief. Second, review the belief. Evaluate whether or not that belief is serving you. So for example, if you have a belief, like I had this belief coming out of my um, near bankruptcy that said, I, I guess I'm just not good with money. Is that empowering me? No, that's holding me back. It's holding me back from creating a great company, from being able to really um, help people, from being able to make the kind of money that I can support my family and give and all those things. So it's not serving me. So that's the second question to ask yourself is just to review the belief. Maybe it's your age. You think you're too old or you think you're too young. 
Um, and it's, I'll tell you what, I see this all the time because again, I'm in my early sixties. I see guys that are in their sixties and you probably do too, that are just like, they've hung it up. They're phoning it in, they're nearing retirement and they're slowing down. I think that's crazy. I think I, I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. I've got the most to contribute in my life. And oh, by the way, I think I've probably got another 25 to 30 years at least. And I'm not just going to sit around for 25 to 30 years and not make a contribution. So you've got to ask yourself, review the belief. Is it empowering you? And then the third thing I would say is either reject the belief outright or completely reframe it. And by reframing it, I mean kind of twisting it around to your advantage. Like I suggested yeah. with my friend mm -hmm. who had lost his job and felt like he was too old. Well, what's the benefit of age? Or what's the benefit of youth? Or what's the benefit of anything? Yeah. And one of the exercises I've often gone through is that when something bad happens, to ask myself the question, what's the gift in this? Yes. What's the yes. gift in this? And usually, even when it's bad things that happen, like when I, I, I mentioned I broke my, my ankle, what was the gift in that? was an enormous gift. I'll tell you one of the biggest one, ones was, that happened in 2004. That's when I started blogging for the first time. Since that time, I built an entire business that now supports 30 full-time people, eight-figure business, that all started because I broke my ankle and had the time to start blogging. Hmm. Man, I, I love that so much. And it's just, like you just said, the word for us to remember for today is reframing. You know, so reframing these yes. limiting beliefs and uh, a good example. And I think this kind of goes back to the, the relationship example. When I talked about, you know, all men are docs. If we look at that idea and we see, you know what, I've been through drama in my relationships and to, to paraphrase, you know, I suck at relationships. Instead of seeing that as your lot in life and this limiting belief you're carrying, reframe this and start to say, I know exactly what I don't want. Now I've got a great checklist of things to identify and to let go of, to, to build up my standards. Now that I've been through these negative things, I now have standards and I realize that I have this experience. So now I can really get to the good stuff. All right. That's and again, good. it's just as simple as reframing. So, wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I was just going to add one thing to that. You know, it'd be easy kind of in this post Weinstein world where so many people are, are now coming out as sexual predators, it'd be very easy if you were uh, a young woman or a young man to just say, gosh, all famous, rich people, powerful people are sexual predators. Mm. Well, the liberating truth might be look like something like this. I'm not talking about, you know, creating an equally false narrative on the other side. No, no, no. All men are great. No, some men are predators, but not all men are. And I bet there's some really amazing people out there that have power that don't abuse it. So it's, it's just, again, recalibrating to what reality really is, not what we might believe that it is. Mm. So that gets back to like universalizing and making everything yes. into a catastrophe. Everything's breaking down as well. Wow. I love yep. that. And, and, and continuing to have that balance and awareness. So. This is another thing you talked about in the book that just like, I was not expecting to see this. And it's because we hear a lot of people say things like, live without regrets, you know, hashtag no regrets. But you have a, a totally different view on regrets that was really refreshing and powerful. So let's talk about that. Yeah, so the truth is, you're not alone, Sean. Nobody likes regret, but let's go ahead and reframe that too. What if regret were really a feature 
not a bug. It if it was something that benefited us. And that's exactly what the research shows. Uh, University of Michigan psychology professor Janet Landman identifies several benefits of regret. So here are three of them. Instruction. Regret is a form of instruction, right? Reflecting on our missteps is critical to avoiding those missteps in the future. I explained how that worked in my uh, own business failure. Secondly, motivation to change. Landman says, and I'm quoting, regret may not only tell us that something is wrong, but can also move us to do something about it. Sometimes when we have something that we regret, it forces change. I had a big relationship breakdown with one of my daughters. I have five daughters. And my middle one, I had a relationship breakdown with. And I remember her saying to me, she said, Dad, don't you get it? This is your fault. Well, I mean, it was like somebody kicked me in the gut. And at first I was super defensive. And the more I started thinking about that, I thought, wait a second, maybe I am responsible for some of this. I ended up getting into therapy about that. And it was one of the best things I ever did to invest in my life. I cannot recommend therapy more highly, but it was because of a regret that turned into an opportunity. Yeah. Third thing that uh, Janet Landman says is integrity. Regret can work us uh, in us like a moral compass signaling us when we veered off the path. And all of it points to uh, two researchers from the University of Illinois. Uh, they call this the opportunity principle. And it's the idea is this. They study people's most common regrets, setbacks and failures in education, career, romance, a whole bunch of different fields. And then they mapped out a three-stage process of action, outcome, and recall. And it's that final stage, the recall, where things really get interesting. And here's what they found, and I'm quoting from the study. Feelings of dissatisfaction and dis disappointment are strongest where the chances for corrective reaction are clearest. And here's why. Because we care, that's the same emotional driver that enables us to correct it and to fix it. If we don't have the regret, we don't care enough to, to correct it. But when we have that regret, that becomes sort of the fuel that enables us to find an opportunity to take corrective action and actually use it as a springboard to a better future. Mm. Wow, that's powerful, powerful. And immediately reading that, I started to kind of go in and dig around and look at some regrets, you know, and to reframe them. Man, that was such, such a good uh, implement in, in the book. Good, and again, good. I wasn't expecting that to be there, you know, but this is one of the things that hold us back from setting the audacious goals totally. that are possible for us is these, these, uh, these regrets that we've had. So another thing that you talk about, and that's very significant, that's getting a lot of attention today is the importance of gratitude. Now, I think a lot of people look past this because we don't really realize just how much it can actually matter. And I'd love to talk about how gratitude actually plays into accomplishing our goals. Yeah, so there's this kind of myth that's out there that says, you know, you got to be careful about being too grateful. Um, and it sometimes shows up for employers. Don't be too grateful and extending your gratitude to your people because they'll just get complacent, right? Or if you're if you're grateful yourself, you might get complacent in pursuing your uh, goals that gratitude leads to contentment and contentment fights against goal setting. Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, there were a couple of researchers, Robert Emmons and Angelai Mishra, who turned that whole thing on its head. And so they compared grateful and non-grateful goal striving. They had a big study and they had the participants keep a gratitude journal along with a list of goals that they hoped to reach over a two-month period. 
So they checked back 10 weeks later after they initiated the study. They found that the grateful participants were significantly closer than the others to achieving their goals. And actually, gratitude helps us to achieve our goals. Mm. You're not going to get more of what you don't want, or excuse me, you're not going to get more of what you want until you're thankful for what you've got. And that's where it starts to be thankful and to do it, to do our goal planning out of a sense of abundance. That's what creates possibilities and all the right feelings and emotions that enable us to achieve even bigger, better goals. I love it. So you talk about in the book, the first way that gratitude helps us is that it makes us resilient, all right? It makes us resilient and that's what keeps us hopeful. And then another thing that you mentioned is that gratitude reminds us that we have agency. Can you talk about what you mean by that? Yeah. yeah. So when I talk about agency, it means you've got power to affect the outcomes in your life. So again, it's the opposite of drifting. It's the opposite of thinking that, uh, that we have no control over our lives, that we're just being pushed around by these invisible forces. When we're grateful, it's just a reminder to us that there's things that we've accomplished, things that we've done that actually were the result of our agency. And certainly we can acknowledge that other people helped us, that there were outside resources that came to bear, but it's just a reminder that we've got agency in this process and, and gratitude helps us reach that. Love it, love it. All right, I've got two more quick things I wanna ask you about. So there's been debates about this, you know, we've got new technology now, everybody's not just putting pen to paper, but does it matter if we just ha have some goals that's kind of rattling around in our minds or is it actually best for us to physically write them down or type them out? Well, here's, here's what's funny. The truth is most people don't write them down. Um, for years, I conducted this sort of informal study. Whenever I would teach on goal setting, I'd go in and I'd usually be teaching um, high-level corporate leaders or CEOs or business owners. And so I would start by saying this. I would say, how many of you believe in the power of setting goals? I mean, every hand goes up. Right. Who's not going to say they believe right. in that, right? And then I said, um, how many of you have goals for this year? Almost every hand would go up. And I said, okay, third question. How many of you, be honest, have a set of written goals for this year? And I tracked this over about a five-year period. Usually three to 5% of the audience's hands would go up. Every other hand would go down. So very few people have written goals. Yet, Professor Gail Matthews of Dominican University, California, recruited uh, 267 entrepreneurs, executives, artists, educators, people from all walks of life, tracked them over several weeks, found among other things that the mere act, get this, Sean, the mere act of writing your goals down boosted achievement by 42%. 42%. Who wouldn't want to give themselves that advantage. And I think the reason why is that by writing something down, it's like the first action in the creative process. First of all, it gives us clarity. <clears throat> There's something about having to write something down that forces clarity. I, I heard this years ago. I'm not sure who to attribute it to, but thoughts disentangle themselves passing over the lips and through pencil tips. So there's something about writing it down that forces you to get clarity. And that clarity becomes an accelerant in terms of moving you towards your, your goal. So writing down is a simple, easy stra strategy that anybody can employ that gives you a 42% advantage in terms of achieving your goals. Oh man, this is so good. 
Chances are a lot of us didn't know this fact, all right? But we're talking over <laughs> 40% greater incidence of you actually achieving your goal if you just write it down. So today, today, or maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow morning, set aside some time, but do this like yesterday, everybody. Please write down your goals. You're eliciting a whole other level of potentiality in accomplishing those goals just by writing them down. It's really, really remarkable. So last thing I want to ask you about is this concept, and you, you even have some images in the book that lay this out. So let's talk about the comfort zone, discomfort zone, and delusional zone. All right, what, what's going on with these three different things in the context of setting and achieving goals? This is critically important to achieving your goals. And by the way, I do go through an entire process in the book, one entire section on how to write your goals in the proper format to maximize the potential for achieving those goals. So there's several different components, seven attributes of a really well-crafted goal that'll ensure your chances of, of actually hitting it. But when I'm talking about these zones, and this comes back to something I talk about, the importance of making your goal not realistic, right? So that's how we most mostly have been taught that, is that we need to set goals that are realistic, right? Mm. Well, not so much. I say you need to have goals that are risky. So the comfort zone, we all know what that is. You know, that's the area where you feel confident, you feel that you've got the resources necessary to hit the goal, you, it's not going to really require much out of you. You can just kind of like, you know, fall off a log and hit it. But that's not what the research shows. People that set goals in the comfort zone, forget them. They're just not compelling enough to make us, uh, to engage us, to engage our imagination, to force innovation, or to keep us focused on actually achieving them. Nothing good happens in the comfort zone. If all you want is the life you've got now, if you don't yearn for more, great. Set your goals in the comfort zone. You know, that's fine. But for the rest of us that, that want something more, a better marriage, better health, bigger business, more contribution to the world and more impact in the world, you want more. And it's imperative that you set your goals in zone two, which is the discomfort zone. This is where all the important stuff in life happens. Mm -hmm. This is where you achieve the breakthroughs. This is where you see real results. This is where you achieve things that you're proud of is in the discomfort zone. But here's the, here's the problem. It's not called the discomfort zone for no good reason. Mm -hmm. It's because we feel uncomfortable when we're in that zone. And particularly we feel fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Three negative emotions that I argue in the book, Your Best Year Ever, are positive indicators that we set our goal exactly in the right place. Because it's natural, if there's some risk, you're going to feel a little fear. Yeah. It's natural, if there's some risk, you're going to feel some uncertainty. You don't know the path because you've never done it before. And you're going to feel some self-doubt about whether you've even got the capacity or the capability to achieve it. That's exactly where you want the goal if you want to, if you want to actually achieve it and keep focused on it so that you do achieve it. Then there's zone three. This is the delusional zone. This is where you've dialed it up so high that there's no possibility that you can achieve it. The discomfort zone is the balance. The delusional zone is just as destructive as the, as the comfort zone because people achieve, or attempt to achieve something that's delusional. They fail and they throw goal setting out the window. Example, 
I had a friend who um, decided after he heard I taught on goal setting, he said, you know what? I totally believe that this year I'm going to 10X my income. I said, really? You're going to 10X it? And he was making about $75,000 a year. I said, so you're telling me you're going to make $750,000 this year? And he said, yep. He said, I've told my wife to take it to the bank. It's absolutely going to happen. Well, he hadn't identified any steps. He hadn't thought through the strategy. He really wasn't even clear why. Well, guess what? He made almost no improvement on his income. And now all of a sudden, <clears throat> he's disillusioned. His wife's disillusioned. He said that whole goal setting thing doesn't work. Let me tell you something. The problem was not goal setting. The problem was he was delusional. He set the goal in the wrong place. So what I like to do is to kind of go to the delusional zone and then dial it back a few clicks where it's in the discomfort zone. Mm -hmm. That's where you're going to have your greatest uh, possibility of success. Uh, love it, love it, love it. it w when I got to this section of the book, of course, I thought about, you know, somebody's, they've got a, a thing coming up. Maybe it's a holiday event with the family or whatever, and it's four weeks away and they need to lose, you know, 50 pounds. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to lose 30 pounds this weekend. All right, who's with me? And that's the delusional zone, okay? We can make <laughs> totally. some incredible progress in four weeks, or even in a week, you can really see some yeah. significant changes with your body. However, we need to be smart, and this is the important part, is not to revert all the way back to the comfort zone. We wanna stretch ourselves. And so when you're setting your goals, if you feel like you can readily attain it, it's not big enough, right? You need to stretch right. that out a little bit. So as you start to feel uneasy, you start to feel like I'm gonna have to become more. I'm gonna to have to develop some qualities to get to this place. But if you are, you know, right now, you know, you're 50 years old and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna be an NFL running back. Like, obviously, <laughs> like we're kind of just a little bit off, but can you get a coaching job? That's a possibility. You know, maybe not in the NFL, you start coaching high school football, you know, like start there and it can build up and you can actually find yourself closer to your, your, your vision than you can imagine. So. Just great stuff, Michael. Um, I would love if you can let everybody know, number one, where they can connect with you online, and of course, where they can find your best year ever, the brand new book. Yeah, so people can connect with me online at michaelhyatt.com. Everything related to my blog, to my podcast, all that stuff is there. Then the best place uh, to connect with the book is at yourbestyoureverbook.com. And for people that buy the book, we've got some amazing bonuses that'll be really helpful in terms of them applying it. They can buy the book anywhere, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, online or offline, wherever. And all they got to do is submit the receipt to us. And you can do that all online and we'll get you the bonuses and you'll take off from there. Perfect. Michael, you are just an absolute superstar, and I'm so grateful to to have you on the show and to have this conversation. And thank you, thank you so much for sharing your gift and for man, you're just so inspiring because like I really do feel. And if people you know see you, hopefully pop, people pop over to YouTube as well if you listen to the audio podcast. You've got so much vitality and energy. I know that you're going to be crushing it for several decades to come, you know, where a lot of people, like you said, Thank they're phoning you. it in. And in many ways, I know you feel like you're just getting started. And it's so exciting for me uh, to be right there with you. So thank you so much, Michael. Appreciate you. Thanks, Sean. Appreciate you. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. Again, I, if I can't stress it enough, make sure to go and check out your best year ever. Best book on goal setting by far. And a couple key takeaways from today with Michael is that 
I want you to remember this. You have a 100% success rate in overcoming your obstacles. You are still here. You're still here. All right. You've made it. 100%. Why would you think you cannot make it to the next level? Why would you think that the next thing is going to take you out? We've got to change our mindset and realize just how powerful we actually are. That's the foundation of this. And then a couple of steps today, we went through so much. This might be one to go back and listen to again, but the power of gratitude. You know, this seems, it could be a little bit like, ah, gratitude journal, you know, just a little burning incense and gratitude. No, this is real. This is real. And there's solid signs behind this. You can actually uh, achieve your goals at a higher level by cultivating gratitude, all right? And gratitude changes your perspective. It reminds you of how fortunate you are. It reminds you of how much you've already accomplished. It reminds you of what you're capable of, all right? And it also reminds you, because there's gonna be a, a gap, there's gonna be a distance between where you are and where you wanna be with your goals. But having gratitude reminds you of where you were before and what you've already achieved. And you know that gap starts to get smaller because you know that what you're capable of. All right, so cultivating that and remembering that you have agency. You have the power, you have the capacity to make change in your life. It is imbued in you. And gratitude, again, helps to really bring that out. And there's, again, science behind it now that shows that having a gratitude practice will better help you to achieve your goals. Last thing I wanna highlight is writing down your goals. Do this like now, all right? Do this right away. 42% increase in achievement of your goal by simply writing it down. Don't just have the goals rattling around in your mind like some Yahtzee dice, all right? Write the goals down so you can execute. This is gonna give you a whole new level of leverage to achieving what's possible for you. And again, it's all in your best year ever. So head over, check it out and definitely follow Michael Hyde. He's one of the greats out here doing it. I appreciate you immensely. All right, let's dominate. All right, this is your time. This is your year. It's time to execute. And it starts with following through on these steps. All right, take care. Have an amazing day. And I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes. You can find transcriptions, videos for each episode. And if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome. And I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.